Welcome to the Broadcorb Report. I'm the moderator, Todd Walker, with our host, Michael Broadcorb and Becky Allery. So welcome to our most recent show. But for those of you that are new to the Broadcorb Report and are just finding us, let's talk a little bit about what you will likely hear on a regular basis. Guys, tell us a little bit about the origin of the Broadcorb Report and why people should listen. It's going to be a new podcast offering what we like to consider a unique insight into politics, policies, and news of the day. Becky and I are going to inject some humor, some personal stories, and some blunt analysis of the political environment, which which we think will have a, a refreshing and kind of new perspective on stuff. Becky? Yeah, you know, I think you often hear from the far light... Far left, far right. I think that we're maybe uh, sometimes a little bit middle of the road. I mean, Michael here uh, endorsed Governor Walls, so oh maybe he's middle of the left road. Um, so, yeah, Michael will be critical of all. I'll try to be a little bit more sympathetic. All right, So, but why should we listen to uh, the two of you, and why do we care what you have to say? I think, I think that we have enough experience in politics, uh, and we have some maturity now that we can have kind of these, dis- these kind of conversations. We have the confidence, I think, to have them. We can disagree, too. We, we're comfortable disagreeing with each other. Becky, what do you think? Why should I listen to you? Why do I care what Becky Allery has That's to say? That's a great question. That what? is a great question. I don't know that you do, but I hope that we're bringing some, you know, unique thoughts here. Um, I've been working in politics, campaigns, government for the last 12 years and uh, have seen and heard a lot. So. All right. We'll see. We'll see if we... Uh, if, if both of you live up to your backgrounds and we're all listening, hopefully going to want to listen to the show. All right, let's talk about some things that happened this past week. So November 18th through the 20th, the Republican Jewish Coalition event was held. So I wanted to go through some of the speakers that were on the platform and get your reaction. If this could be a little bit of foreshadowing of possible candidates for 2024. So the lineup included Florida Governor Rod DeSantis, Mike Pence, Mike Pompeo, Nikki Haley, Chris Christie, Senator Tim Scott, and Maryland Governor Larry Hogan, and of course, Ted Cruz. Becky, what are your thoughts? Is this a list of some possible candidates? Are there anybody that's excluded? Or who do you think is maybe rising to the top on this list? Uh, sounds like a bunch of winners to me. I, I, you know, I think there's a lot of excitement around a lot of these names. Um, I personally, you know, would support nearly all of them. I think Chris Christie was a former Trump critic turned ally, turned critic again. He came out really strong. Um, Ron DeSantis, obviously one of the few successes that came out of this last election day. Nikki Haley, I saw, made a quote um, or said that I've never lost. I think that she's really, you know, trying to set the frame there, framework there for, for a future run. I know a lot of people have been pushing a lot of these names um, out there, and I think I think we have a lot yet to see here. All right, but you know, you just did answer that question in the way that I can't stand it. When you go to a restaurant and you say, what are some of the best, what is the, the best things on the menu? And then they tell you, everything is great. I, what I asked you is this, this is a list of some of the, this is a list of some of the candidates that, uh, or some of the people that were on the docket as speakers. Is there, if you went one, two, three, who do you think? Um, for my personal position, I would say Chris Christie, DeSantis, and Nikki Haley are my top three choices. All right. Okay. Michael, what are you thinking? Well, my concern is with the former president, Donald Trump. Uh, and the way this is being organized right now is exactly how Trump got the nomination in 2016. There are far too many candidates running. And so let's assume for a moment that all these candidates run. And that's part of the reason why they're on the stage. 
is the expectation is the vast majority of these, these candidates are going to run for president. That is going to make it very easy, I think, for Donald Trump to get the nomination. There needs to be less Republican candidates coming. And, and that's mathematically, that's how he succeeded in 16. Again, I believe that Trump has the biggest lane, that he has the most support inside right now inside the party. And what we need right now are fewer alternatives to Donald Trump. So there is a one-on-one or a one-on-two match, Trump versus the other candidates. He succeeds in these type of environments. And so I actually will say to you, surprisingly, I agree with Becky's list. Uh, Chris Christie would be my favorite. Uh, I've always been a fan of Chris Christie, and I like the kind of rise that he's had. He was a, he was a, a Trump critic, a Trump loyalist. Uh, now he's a Trump critic. I thought his commentary on where the party needed to go made sense. Um, and so I'm a big fan of, of that perspective. But ultimately, the objective that these Republicans need to be focused on is how do they block President, former President Donald Trump from getting the nomination? And right now, there's too many candidates in the race. So you're saying your top three would be Chris Christie, Nikki Haley, and who was your third? Uh, I'm going to stick with just those two right now. All right. And you think, do either one of you think Mike Pence has even a chance in this, uh, if, if, he was, if he was to throw his name in the, you know, in the race? Um, I mean, yes and no. I think the one of the biggest issues that's going to come with Mike Pence is he's going to have such a target on his back from Donald Trump. I think we need somebody a that literal has, target on his back. Right. Right. I mean, quite literally. I think we're going to need somebody like a Chris Christie who's able to throw the firebombs back at Trump and have the backbone to and thick skin to, to withstand the, the arrows coming back at him. I think she's right. I think that um, there is a lane for a Trump alternative. Um, I don't know, though. Pence has such, as, as Becky pointed out, a target on his back. There's going to be a number of Republicans who believe, unfortunately, that he should have done more on January 6th to fight the elections, to stop the steal, as some of these, these nutcases think. And so Pence is going to have some baggage being supplied by his former boss, Donald Trump. All right. So one of the other headlines we saw this week that I found pretty interesting is the Dems are pushing amnesty in this lame duck session. So just as a little bit of background, Democrats and immigration activists are looking to get some form of amnesty for illegal immigrants through Congress in the lame duck session before they lose the House of Representatives to Republicans at the beginning of 2023. So senators and activists held a press conference Wednesday calling for Republicans in the chamber to work with Democrats to pass a version of the DREAM Act, which would grant a path to citizenship for recipients. So, Michael, what are your thoughts on this? Is this, uh, is this something that we should be concerned about? Is this something that you think has a uh, chance? Let's set aside the policy for a second and look at the politics for a moment. The politics of this are as follows, is that Republicans are going to have control of the House of Representatives uh, come January, a very, slim, a very slim control. We still don't know who's going to be the speaker yet on the Republican side. This is an attempt by the Democrats to get ahead of the Republicans taking over. And it comes down to simple math. And so let's set aside the policy for a second, understanding that the, the math in this is, is difficult to get something done um, because Republicans are going to be taking control and then it's going to rely on the Senate. And the Senate right now is divided. Uh, the Senate, I believe the number is it's still 50-50. And so you're going to need, in order for there to be a structural reform related to DACA and other things, you're going to need a Republican to join with the Democrats. Now that's possible, but the math is just really hard. And so what they're trying to do is they're trying from a they're trying to jam policy through 
before the reality of the election results uh, come to play. And it's going to be challenging for them. It's going to be very challenging. Policy aside, the politics alone are going to be challenging. Yeah, I mean, the whole lame duck thing is a frustration for me. I know both sides do it, that this is a last chance opportunity before things switch up. Um, but but why wait, right? I mean, why why are we doing this in lame duck is a big question. I think that one of the issues here, as Michael mentioned, is needing some help and support from the Republican side. And to get that, Republicans in the Senate that are, are most likely swayable have already said, well, if we're going to do this, we also need to increase funding for, for our borders. Um, and, and I think that's kind of, you know, at the base of this problem, we need more than just a Band-Aid. I, I to be perfect, I'm going to put myself out on a limb and say I actually support doing this. However, you can't just grant amnesty and not do anything to address the situation. We're going to be back here in 5, 10, 20 years having another, you know, 2 million people that are in this country illegally that then need to be granted amnesty. So we do need to focus at the root of this problem and that's illegal crossings and and what we're going to do to prevent that. I would agree with there. The problem is the math and to put a, a real fine point in it, in theory, Democrats would need at least 10 Republicans if we want to get past the filibuster margin of roughly to get to 60 votes. They would need 10 Republicans um, just to deal with on the, on, a, on the procedural motions to kind of proceed with this. There could possibly be something that passes, you know, on a straight party line, uh, but you would, that would be a tiebreaker by the vice president. So you would need some additional Republican support. The math just isn't there for this, I think, to get done. Um, also, coming out of the past election cycle where Republicans wanted and expected more gains to be had on both the Senate and the House, Republicans did take the House, but the margin is smaller than they thought. I wonder what this would do to the Republican Party nationally if this policy came forward. Republicans are obviously on the side. Uh, they do, they, they're not going to want this to pass. And so getting this legislation passed in a lame duck session would require Republicans in the Senate and Republicans in the House to help. And I just don't know in the midst of a speaker vote where Kevin McCarthy is trying to whip votes to get to 218 to be majority. Tom Emmer is trying to whip votes. And whip, whip votes too. That There's going to be time for this to get done. It does come down to the math. All right. One of the other headlines that uh, was striking this week is House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy from California said on Saturday that when he is Speaker of the House next year, he plans to remove Democrat Representative Ilan Omar from Minnesota from the House Foreign Affairs Committee over her anti-Semitic comments. He directly quote, a direct quote, he said, I promised you last year that as Speaker, she will no longer be on foreign affairs and I'm keeping that promise. Becky, what are your thoughts? I mean, I think this is something that Republicans here in Minnesota and not even and some non-Republicans have been screaming about for the last two years. It is wild to think that a Democrat or any congressperson sitting on a foreign affairs committee responsible for crafting and passing policy that is going to impact our relationship abroad has been so blatantly anti-Semitic. And this is something that Omar has time and time and time again and apologized and not apologized and and it just continues to happen. Um, So I think it is a a step in the right direction. I'm pleased to see it. I know that we've been pushing for it for a while here in Minnesota. Um, I was also, you know, Omar came back and, and called this strictly political and said that it was Islamophobia that Republicans want to take her off this committee when when, you know, let's look at the scoreboard here and and the facts are the facts are there She deserves to be removed This is also about getting votes 
I mean, let's be honest. Part of the reason he's doing this is he's taking a hard line. Omar has become, Congresswoman uh, Ilhan Omar has become a very much a lightning rod for Republicans. She has become a, a, an enemy on the Republican side. She's used in fundraising pitches all across the country. She has, you know, become a, the, the kind of a focus of, of legislative Republicans, national Republicans all across the state. So McCarthy is trying to also, as he's whipping votes, following through on something that he said. Now, there is an argument you made on both sides for her removal, without any question. But one of the things I think we should recognize is that this is going on in the midst of a speaker vote. And so this is being done through that lens. And so I think that she is likely going to get taken off if McCarthy has his way. That elections do have consequences. He will have the votes. If he has the votes to be speaker, she will be gone. That's just the political reality of it. Do you think, I mean, take aside the political of it, if this wasn't in the midst of a speaker's race, if it happened in January that this comment was made, do you think that she deserves to be on foreign affairs or should she be removed? That's a tough one for me. It's a tough one for me. I do believe that she has very polarizing views. Um, but I also have to recognize that McCarthy is hanging out with Marjorie Taylor Greene, is who he's trying to win some support Fair. for. And so my concern is I'm not a fan of extremism on either side. Um, and as someone who likes to now occupy the squishy middle, you know, I, I'm discussing this mostly from the, the numbers standpoint that the political theater that it's in. Uh, but, you know, this with, with election comes consequences. And this could, this could be a consequence uh, for Representative Ilhan Omar. She has a long history in a short amount of time of devices, divisive comments. The record is, I think, pretty clear. She has faced... Uh, heat back in Minnesota for those statements. It's part of the reason why she has had aggressive challengers against her. So to say that she hasn't contributed by her comments and some of her policy positions to this debate would be, I think would be naive of me to say. So there's clearly, there's clearly, uh, I think a case to be made for her to be removed without any hesitation. But I do have concerns a little bit with McCarthy and his, his allegiance with Marjorie Taylor Greene. Um, let's not pretend that the other side is, has virtue and one side has vice. Okay. I mean, I have a number of problems with elevating her the way McCarthy has. She is now supporting him as in her role as speaker. And I think that he is expecting that type of stuff. And what comes with that comes problems. When you are, when you kind of align yourselves with her, you're going to have some, uh, difficult choices to be made down the road. Do you think McCarthy has the votes that it's going to take? to uh, become the speaker? I mean, become take on the role of, of Speaker of the House next year? He needs 218. And as much as my dad used to tell me that it was all about math, and I disagree with him, it does come down to math. Politics does come down to math. There have been some pretty emphatic statements by some of his opposition that he does not have the votes. Matt Gates and other members of Congress have been very clear in saying that he does not have 218 votes. I don't know if he has 218 votes. What I'm just surprised about is the opposition being so emphatic that he doesn't have the votes. And so if we're playing like confidence games here, his opposition is pretty clear that he doesn't have the votes. But we'll see. What do you think, Becky? Um, I think I think he will pull it out. I do think he will. Um, however, I will say I was also, you know, working out in on the Hill in D.C. Um, a couple of years ago. Well, now too many years ago, uh, when everybody thought McCarthy was going to be elected speaker. Um, turns out at the end of that election, Paul Ryan was our new speaker of the House. So crazier things have happened, but I do think that McCarthy will be the next speaker. 
All right, quick reactions. This week also we heard the news that Trump would be reinstated on Twitter. What are your thoughts? I'm a huge advocate of the First Amendment. Um, this is a private company that gets to set their policies. Um, I will say to you that I have, as much as I'm an advocate of the First Amendment, I have enjoyed operating on Twitter the last couple of years without Donald Trump being on there. Um, I think that he has shown that there needs to be some set of boundaries and guidelines for speech on these type of platforms. Um, I'm not happy. I think uh, Elon Musk uh, went about it in a wimpy way by putting up a Twitter poll um, to let kind of the Twitter community decide. I don't understand. I don't know the science behind all of those polls, but I have a difficult time thinking it's it's well founded. But we'll see. Um, but you're for him being reinstated. I, I struggle with the fact that he was booted off permanently. I do struggle with that. That being said, I understand why they did it. And I do think when you have a president who is using social media in the way that he did, particularly when it comes to January 6th, there are real world ramifications of that. So I, my hope would be is that Twitter would have their, make sure that there's stronger policies for the use of their platforms, particularly in light of how social media was used in, in the, behind some really tragic events in our history. And so I'm concerned that Donald Trump is, doesn't understand the magnitude doesn't really understand sometimes the power that he has over people and what he can conjure up and what he what type of spells he can cast when he's on social media and he's abusing it. So Becky, did he tell us that he was for his reinstatement <laughs> or did Michael say he was opposed to his reinstatement? A little you, of both. I will agree and disagree. So when he talks about squishy middle, boy, was that a <laughs> non-answer answer. I have no idea if Michael's for the reinstatement or not. Becky, maybe you can be a as the voice of reason, can be a bit more clear with your answer. Well, I'll agree and disagree a little bit with what he said. Um, I He said he doesn't think that Donald Trump is aware of the power. I think he's very well aware of the power that he has and is very crafty in how he molds it and melds it to, um, I guess I'll, I'll use maybe some Michael language and manipulate the general public. And so I think that that is something that he is well aware of. Um, I too, I, I agree. I think it's a private company. They can kind of do whatever they want was a wild thing that they blocked him in the first place, but to each their own. Um, I do think, though, that Trump, I mean, we've seen it already. We haven't seen anything from him on Twitter. I think he said, you know, he's going to stay to his um, truth social. Is that what that's, that's what it's called these yep. days? True social. I think that he has the media, um, whether they want to admit or not that they're, they're part of this. I mean, we saw and they spent, you know, three times more in earned media uh, in 2016 than they did on Hillary Clinton. So... He can stay on True Social. The people who are going to support him, the people that want to follow him, are already doing that on his platform. And the press are going to take it to Twitter anytime that he says anything that they need to share. So, you know, the press is doing their bidding. The left is doing their bidding on Twitter. So um, I think it allows him to kind of keep that moral high ground that he thinks he has on True Social. Well, I think what we just heard here is two people that have worked in politics maybe a little bit too long and just both gave us a no answer answer and uh, talked like two... Uh, politicians, because I don't think anybody that's listening to this could tell the answer of my very simple one, two, three, four, five word question. Should Trump be have been reinstated on Twitter? So there's your answer, a no answer by by Michael Broadcorb and Becky Allery. But let's move on to something that is much, much more important and pressing. We are right here in the midst of Thanksgiving week, right? So Thursday is Thanksgiving. So this is, to me, 
certainly reigns in importance of the other topics we've discussed. What time should Thanksgiving dinner be served on Thursday? As early as possible in the day. You're the craziest man. The reason why is because you get you, you have it earlier in the day, then you're primed for seconds and potentially thirds later on that day. You get it done like a noon, one o'clock, perfect time to start. First of all, you wake up on Thanksgiving morning, you get up early, you got the turkey going. By noon, you're hungry, you're ready to eat. You focus on the turkey, you plow through a meal, you get a nap in then, an hour or two plus nap, you wake up by six o'clock, you're ready for round two. Jeez, then you, you got football on. Hold on, you got football on. You're gonna burn off some calories watching the Vikings play football. You got time for a late night snack. Becky, fully supportive. I mean, I would argue noon one isn't as early in the day as it could be. Um, there's a lot of hours before that. However, I'm more of like a two-ish, two-ish o'clock, maybe three-ish o'clock. But that said, I am still gonna have to eat earlier in the day, so I'll have a light breakfast, and which maybe is fine. An appetizer, I, yeah. Then really dig it. I'm for three o'clock. Maybe even three thirty-four, because then earlier in the day you can do what you need to do, have a light breakfast, go over and socialize, maybe have a couple appetizers, and then sit down for a great dinner. And then you know you can have your late night snack at maybe six, seven o'clock. Have that turkey sandwich, watch football while doing that. Because what in the world do you do besides sit across the table in the living room and stare at each other, starting at two thirty after dishes are done? Why? Are you getting up in the... See, here's the whole problem with your theory. You're, you're wasting your time on other meals of the day. Breakfast? Just wake up and start focusing on turkey. That's the problem. You stretch the so- stomach. Yeah. You st- first of all, you don't stretch the stomach the day before. You do that well in advance. Some of us are already prepping for Thanksgiving today, okay? You have to start stretching the stomach in advance. Now, the real question, because hopefully this podcast is going to be played to the folks that are going to be attending. I feel like you got a little angst here, Todd, that you're... Dinner is not at the time you want it. Absolutely not. Mine is at one o'clock, which is way too early, and uh, I'm not happy about it. And I've, I've done my informal <laughs> polling, and it seems like most of the the world is in agreement with me that it should be maybe three o'clock is about the perfect time for the. Thanksgiving. That's outrageous. I am totally supportive of your Thanksgiving being at one o'clock. And if I have the opportunity between now and Thursday to have move it up earlier, I'm going to make some calls to try to get I that think done. What, what the other thing we just learned right now that, that Michael Broadcorb and Becky Allery do have the ability to answer something directly when they choose to. And this one, they were able to, they were able to answer my question. Um, but they failed to answer my question regarding Trump being reinstated on Twitter. Well, thank you for joining us. On the Broadcorb Report with our hosts, Becky Allery and Michael Broadcorb. And as I said, I'm the moderator, Todd Walker. Do you have any thoughts, any suggestions? You can certainly reach out to Michael Broadcorb at... At M. Broadcorb on Twitter. And Becky Allery. Allery RL on Twitter. All right. We look forward to hearing your comments, your thoughts, any suggestions you may have for future shows or guests that we should be reaching out to. Have a great Thanksgiving and uh, dine late. This is Todd Walker signing off for the Broadcourt Report.